So this text for today begins, in the year that King Uzziah died. Ah, a text about the transition of power. Amazing how the lectionary works sometimes, as this text was assigned years ago without a thought of coming in the aftermath of an election. Isaiah, among the greatest of all the prophets Judah had ever known, is setting up a story about God amidst a time filled with anxiety, uncertainty, and fear. See, the Jewish king Uzziah had reigned in Judah for an extraordinary 52 years. In a monarchy, the transition following the death of a longtime leader oftentimes results in squabbles over who gets to be king next, a Game of Thrones, if you will. And the next king almost always gets tested by outside powers or feels the need to assert his power and dominance among his own people right away. So at this time in history, the Jews are just a small little tribe compared with the superpower of the day. Assyria had the largest army, the most advanced weapons, the greatest economy the world had ever seen, and they are Judah's neighbor. So, with all this transition and change and fear of what might come, how do the faithful feel at such a moment? What do the faithful do in uncertain times of transition when anxiety and uncertainty and fear threaten to devour us? It's kind of a relevant question nowadays. The first time I voted for president was in 1996. I was a freshman in college in Minneapolis, and I'd, I'd never really followed presidential politics that much before. Maybe that's why I was so surprised at how negative, how personal the campaign was. After Bill Clinton won his second term in that election, I remember Bob Dole supporters feeling deeply personally hurt. Their country, they felt, had rejected a World War II hero who'd spent a lifetime in public service in favor of someone they thought was a much lesser human. They grieved over the end of an era when the greatest generation ran the country. Something important, they felt, had passed away. Then there was the unforgettable election of 2000. If I thought the election of 96 got personal, 2000 showed me I didn't know the half of it. Many remember that for, well, a month after that election, the, the winner in the state of Florida went undeclared a month. I mean, think of where we are today from the last election. Think of what a month of that level of uncertainty felt like. 2,912,790 to 2,912,253. 537 votes out of almost 6 million separated Bush from Gore. After the Supreme Court ended all attempts to recount, I remember Gore supporters feeling deeply, personally hurt. Their legal system, they felt, had failed them. They felt that instead of remaining impartial, objective observers, our court had chosen a political side. They grieved over the end of an era when they thought the three branches of government remained truly separate. Something important, they felt, had passed away. Eight years later, in 2008, was an election between a relatively unknown young buck and a decorated honorable elder. The campaign between Barack Obama and John McCain included questions of experience and service to country and the ability to lead. 
And when Obama won, I remember deep grief among those who felt their country had rejected established leadership from a good man in favor of wishful hoping. Many felt the country was grasping at straws instead of selecting the most qualified candidate. And they felt that our standards for what makes a good president were passing away. And then came 2016, eight years after that. This was my sixth opportunity to, to vote for president. That time it was an outsider in Donald Trump promising to bring his businessman efficiency and vision to what he said was the corrupt world of federal politics versus Hillary Clinton, who'd served as First Lady, Senator from New York, Secretary of State under President Obama, and after what I think was the most bitter campaign I've ever seen ended with a Trump win, I remember many wondered whether decency and character in American politics had passed away. And now we've all lived through another presidential election cycle. All the old issues of whether a candidate is qualified, character, whether decency matters, the ability to lead, the questions of a nation's financial priorities, the role of the press, whether facts matter, how to live and fight against a pandemic, whether to honor the science of climate change. There were so many issues talked about in this election, and like always, strong feelings among supporters of each candidate and each party. And like always, the losing side feels deep grief that their country has seemingly rejected the priorities they value the most, the trust that they had placed in others. And this time, of course, in addition to grief, Many also feel anger because of the many unsubstantiated rumors of a rigged election. Many who supported President Trump this time around feel like something's been stolen from them, like our elections are somehow illegitimate. Now, that's not all of us, for certain. That may not even be most of us who are watching me, but it is at least some of us. The truth is our country regularly disappoints us because it is of this world. Like Churchill said, democracy is the worst form of government except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. Many of us, including, I would say, the United States is the most ingenious governmental system ever dreamed up, and yet it is so broken, imperfect, and maddening because a bunch of human beings run it and human beings live in it. We like to think it may be possible to make a nation that works perfectly, that it may be possible to create systems that leave no one out. We like to think that our national security is possible. We like to think that if we get the right people in power and have everybody rowing in the right and same direction, maybe we could make a perfect union. Isaiah would laugh, I think, quite hard at that idea, that possibility. It's just like we think we're able to create within our own lives security, financially or physically or emotionally. I mean, at that, COVID-19 laughs. Jesus tells a parable in the Gospel of Matthew that tells us what he thinks about this idea that we're capable of creating our own security, happiness, and success, that we could create a nation that would never let us down. He says, you know, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise person who built their house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, but it didn't fall 
because it had been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. We sometimes think we can avoid storms. That maybe if we're clever enough, that maybe if we work hard enough or, or convince everybody of the right strategy, that maybe there might be no wind, no rain, no floods. And so we sometimes are surprised when our nation or our leaders or our Facebook friends disappoint us. Jesus' point is that our security, our financial well-being, our hopes, if they're built on the shifting sands of the world where priorities pass away every time, our hopes and everything else will fall. The United States of America is a societal experiment worth our time and worth our effort, but it is not worth our faith. The elections of our nation and, and the policies that those leaders are going to enact, they're worth our time and our effort, but they're not worth our faith. So what would Isaiah say the faithful do in uncertain times of transition when anxiety and uncertainty and fear threaten to devour them? He says at this difficult moment, well, he talks about a vision he has. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. It was all so grand he felt like he should look away, as though he is not worthy to even look upon this. I am a man of unclean lips, yet my eyes have seen the real king, the king of kings. But then a servant of the Lord cleans Isaiah's lips and assures Isaiah that his guilt has departed, his sin has been blotted out, much like what we would say about a baptism. And that's when Isaiah hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send into that? Who will go for us? In other words, into this broken world full of certain storms that will shake our foundations and make us question everything, into times of anxiety, uncertainty, fear, into all of it, whom shall I send? And believing that God has made him able to go, Isaiah says, courageously, faithfully, here am I, send me. No matter who you voted for this time around or how you feel in the wake of the election that in many ways continues to go on and on and on and on, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, no different from last month or four years ago or four years before that, and no different in life than we will be in death. Nothing, no election, no diagnosis, no social class, no emotion, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord because God made it so. God is God. Trump is not. Biden is not. You are not. I am not. Made clean in the waters of baptism. Thankfully, we didn't have to have a hot coal from the altar of God placed on our lips. But made clean in the waters of baptism, we were given everything we'd need to be sent into a world of social distancing, even as holidays approach. Into the anxiety of our friends into the uncertainty of our institutions, into the fear and the anger within parts of our society, we are called to and have everything we need to be sent into all that. We can say to God, send me. 
knowing we have a hopeful word grounded in the love and mercy of Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.